The Bible reading today is from Psalm 85. Please read along with me. You showed favour to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Saviour, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O God, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks, Liz, for reading the Bible to us. Uh, it's good to be together again this morning, uh, hearing God's word together, singing together, praying together. It's uh, always look forward to the time, knowing that we are gathered and scattered all over the place, but we are gathered in Jesus' name. You know, uh, thinking about living in Australia today, less and less people believe in God. Now, we would hoped, or well, we had hoped that COVID-19 might change that. People might think about death and eternity, but I don't think it has at all, really. People just get on with their lives and try to have a better life and, and try to come out of COVID, but they're not really thinking about life, death, meaning, significance, Jesus at all. See, less people in Australia live for the glory of Jesus. Less people live in view of eternity. And I think our census will tell us again that less people believe in God overall. But I think further, COVID, though, has put the church under stress. Stuck at home, away from other Christians, away from family. Some believers have lost their way a little. Some have gone into survival mode, just trying to stay uh, above water every day. Others, though, have grown closer to God during this time. They haven't let COVID bring them down, but they are thriving through it as they trust in God. In fact, they're powering on for God and for His glory. They're keen to know God. They're keen to be in the Word. They're keen to pray. They're keen to meet with other Christians. And friends, we're going to do that soon. Uh, between three to five weeks, we will be gathering again in what will be a hybrid model because we can only get a certain small number of gathered here and others will be gathered at home as we are now. It's going to be messy, but... Uh, it is exciting, though, to look forward to that possibility in a few weeks' time. And so what better time than to call on God now to revive our church, to renew our passion to live God-centered and Christ-honoring lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you've been feeling like under the weather or struggling during this time at home, as we look at coming out, maybe it's a stimulus to pray, a stimulus to say, God, I want to I want to trust in you, God. I want to believe that you have good things ahead for us. 
Friends, we want to pray and serve and speak and lead in such a way that our nation will see the beauty of Jesus, that our local community would recognize the beauty of Jesus. That spiritual revival will impact our local community and our nation. What is revival? One person, Stephen Olford, said, Revival is an, is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. There's a, there's a manifestation of God and His power in such a way, in such a tangible way, that people cannot help but recognize that. Vance Havner wrote, Revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. You see His beauty, you see His love, you understand His grace and His mercy and you connect with God at a deeper level again. One lady had asked the great evangelist Billy Sunday, why do you keep having revivals? And he answered right back, why do you keep having baths? Because you need them. We're to be revived by God day after day, week after week, year after year, that we would know Him, that we would be full of love for Him and full of delight in Him. You see, Friends, it's God's desire that we become passionate lovers of God. And when you personally lose your passion, then it's time to call out to God in prayer. If you, if you know today, you think, well, I'm not as passionate as I used to be. I'm not as focused as what I used to be. Friends, don't stay there this morning. Pray to God that God would re-energize you, revitalize you, revive you, give you a new sense of life and joy in Him. Friends, when a church loses its passion, and it's, God's folk, and it's God focus, then it's time to call out to God in prayer as well. G. Campbell Morgan gets it right when he says, Revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. I love that. Pray, get into the word, be ready, allow God to blow his power. And his manifestation amongst us. I was listening to a talk by American pastor Andy Stanley recently. He said there are two great dangers to maintaining a church's God-honoring vision. One is success and the other is failure. He says when a church is successful in terms of people's eyes, people are saved, the church grows, people get comfortable though and lose their passion. There are plenty of people here, we don't need to reach out to others. There's more than enough that take things for granted. The kids' program, the youth program, their Bible studies, their Sunday services. They take them for granted. They forget why they exist, that they're on a mission from God. They forget how much prayer, faith, and energy it took to get them there. He said the other danger is failure. Well, no one gets saved, the church doesn't grow, people get discouraged. And nobody bothers doing evangelism or mission any longer. We'll just maintain what we have. Make sure we don't get too small to close down. Well, friends, we don't want to be like that. We want to be a church that is revived by God and is engaged in God's work and God's mission. And Psalm 85 is a beautiful psalm which helps us to think through this whole idea of praying for revival. And there's some four principles I want to share with you this morning. Number one, if we want to be praying for revival, we firstly look back 
to the saving works of God in verses 1 to 3. Remember what God has done in the past that will help guide us into the future. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Scholars believe that Psalm 85 was probably written after the people of Israel came back from exile in Babylon. You know, after centuries of unfaithfulness, God took the people into exile as a judgment and as a way of purifying them before he brought them back into the promised land. So in 587 BC, God allowed Babylon to come and take them captive, take the people out of the promised land into a foreign land. But now it seems as if they've come back and they call out to God in the midst of their present struggle. But as they do, they look back. What does he say? He restored the nation and brought them home. We remember that. He forgave. He lifted up, carried away the iniquity of the people. We remember that, God. He pardoned and covered their sins. We remember that. He set aside and withdrew his divine wrath. We remember that. He turned from his fierce anger. We remember that. You see, they remember and they focus on, they declare God's saving works. Remember what God has done in the past. It's a good place to start. And friends, we live this side of the cross. You see, they hadn't had the cross, the Old Testament Jews. They, it, was, it was sometime in the future, but we are this side of the cross. We look back to the cross. And we look back to the resurrection and to the empty tomb. We give thanks for grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Friends, a God-honoring revival must have gospel foundations. Christ is preached. Christ is loved. Christ is worshipped. We look back. Friends, never lose sight of the Easter events. I must say it is easy to be consumed by COVID cases or vaccination rates or COVID deaths or the number of people in ICU, stressed hospital workers, children homeschooled. But we stop this morning with all of that around us and we remember the cross. We sit for a moment at the foot of the cross where our Saviour died for us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No matter what anything else is happening in our world, we remember there is a God who loves us deeply and a God who proved that love while we were raising our fist at God, while we were doing our own thing, pushing God out of our lives, Christ died for us. Not for himself. He was perfect. Died for us, sinners and rebels. You know, when an older, retired minister told the congregation at Springwood Baptist, where I used to serve, that the church needed to stop singing songs about the cross, we told them in a very nice and gracious way, that he was greatly deluded. We don't move beyond the cross. We look back to the cross where our Saviour died for us and we give thanks to God for him. Friends, it is through the cross that our sins are forgiven. It is through the cross that we have peace with God. The American pastor C.J. Mahaney writes, the cross-centered life is made up of cross-centered days. It's supposed to be, we are be cross-centered people 
And each day is a cross-centered day. And those days are ones in which we stay near enough to the cross for its spark to fall on us so that the flame of gospel passion keeps burning brightly in the drizzle of real life. The flame of gospel passion keeps burning brightly in the drizzle of real life, of COVID, of homeschooling, of work, of five-kilometer distance from your home only, whatever else happens, online shopping, and the drizzle of real life. Stay close to the cross. That the flame of gospel passion will burn brightly in your life and in mine. But secondly, not only do we look back to what God has done for us in Jesus, we lament our current condition. You see, the Jewish people looked, they looked back to what God had done in the past, but then they look at their own lives now. Restore us again, God our Savior. They're looking for a new day. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. You see, the people have come back from, from exile in Babylon. They're back in the promised land. But we know from the prophets like Haggai and Isaiah and Zechariah that there was hardship, there was disillusionment and there was death and there was sin still in the land so all, even though God had done a good thing and forgiven them brought them back they're still a mess they still recognize that they are sinful and they are broken and they need God's help and they're calling out to God restore us will you revive us they know their fortunes have have gone backwards, they're in trouble. And they know that only God can turn it around. Only God can give them health and prosperity. Physical, mental, spiritual. And they call out to God, God, will you revive us, restore us? I wonder whether you ever lament the state of your life. Stop for a moment. Do you ever lament the spiritual state of your life? Do I ever lament the state of my life? Or do I just get comfortable in my mediocre Christianity, my mediocre spirituality? Five minutes of prayer, that will do, that's enough. That should make God happy, right? I read a Bible yesterday. Surely God doesn't want me to read it today. Well, I witnessed to one person. When was that in 1985? I wonder whether Australian Christians don't lament because we don't examine our lives. We don't see the beauty of God, the glory of Jesus, and see how average, in one sense, we live spiritually. You ever lament the state of your life? I do. The state of the church, the state of the world. Does it break your heart enough to cry out to God for revival? God, this world needs help. God, you are the only one who can make a difference. God, I'm going to keep praying, you say to God. God, I'm going to keep coming at you, God, until something happens. I'm not going to sit here doing nothing, God. My heart is broken. God, I know your heart is broken. And God, I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to pray, God, until things are different. God is just not right. God, help me. 
God, help me change. God, help our church change. God, help our world change. God, please, it's all you. We can't do it. Please blow in the power of your spirit throughout this place. God, we're in terrible trouble. We need you to revive us, bring us back to life. Friends, the Psalms are wet with tears. The people lament passionately. For example, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Friends, tears are the seeds of revival. Never broken enough, been moved enough by God and His Spirit, you just break down in tears. For a son or a daughter who's far from God, for a spouse who's far from God, a mother or father who's far from God, and there's an eternity to come of judgment. You see injustice, and you see rape and violence, and it just breaks you. And you seek righteousness and justice. And it so overwhelms you at times that you can do nothing else but stop and weep. For those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy, the Bible says. Friends, we're not talking about talking about a genuine confession about your own failings as well. We're not talking about self-pity. We're talking about godly sorrow. Sin in your own life, sin in the community. And it's a hungry sorrow as well because you want to rejoice in God. Uh, you're saddened in your own, for your own sin and the sin of the world and you want things to be better. It's a hungry sorrow. And you will not change nor affect change until you, you lament your present condition. That was the state of the Israelites there in Psalm 85. They know they're miserable. They know their only hope is to call out to God. So I say to you this morning, be honest with God. Is there a sin to admit? Is there an, a, a habit to break? An attitude to let go of? Do you need strength to read God's Word, to pray without ceasing, to witness to Christ, to love your spouse, to work hard in your employment? We need to find out what breaks God's heart and let it break ours. Martin Luther King, the great leader of the civil rights movement in the USA, developed what we might call a holy discontent. He couldn't stand the racism that he saw. It led him to holy activism. You do something about it when it breaks your heart. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, I read his story and once he was in a third world country. Before World Vision, before Baptist World Aid, before these things even existed. And he saw dying children in front of his eyes. He went back home to the USA, gathered some people together and said, we've got to do something about this. A holy discontent led him to found the work of World Vision, one of our largest ministries in the world, serving the needy and the poor. He once prayed, God, may my heart break with the things that break your heart. Friends, I was converted as a teenager and I didn't go to church at that stage. When I finally made it to a church, a local church, it was a small local church. And as I went there, we tried to engage with people and love people. There were some lovely, godly people in that place, in this small church. But you see, on a Sunday service, week after week, new people would would visit only small numbers, a family here and a family there and a, a single there and a couple there week to week. And we make sure, because you can spot them in a small church, you can spot new people really easily, right? 
and we'd try to talk to them, encourage them. But I'll sit through the service and I would look at them thinking they're not coming back. And I was right. Almost every time. The worship was dull. The preaching was uninspiring. I just knew that after bearing with this service, that's what it was for an hour, an hour and a half, bearing with this service, they would not, could not wait to get out of there and never come back. And people said to me a few years later, they said, why are you leaving teaching where you're doing Christian ministry, ISCF groups, camps, speech missions, speaking evangelistically? Why, why would you want to be a pastor? Because I believe the church could be better than that, I said. I want to be in a church where people get saved. I want to be in a church where people want to be there. They love Jesus. They serve Jesus. They witness to others. They welcome new people. They have them into their homes. I want to be in a church that brings glory to Jesus. I will not settle for the church that I'm in right now. God has bigger plans and better plans than that. Friends, when I studied at Sydney Teachers College, uh, um, we went away on a maths camp. Now, it wasn't a maths camp. It was a camp with all the trainee maths teachers. We are such an exciting group. We were, we were so bored because we had nothing creative to do. And, uh, but I remember one time, and I, I watched these uh, people, and uh, you know, I grew up in a pretty sheltered family, but, uh, and I watched... Uh, immoral behavior taking place in the various dorm rooms with some of the girls, some of the guys. And I went, wow. And some of them were quite shocked by what was taking place. And then I watched some racism take place. And I watched some, uh, some girls really put down the one Lebanese girl. And as someone who suffered racism growing up in the, in the inner West myself from a Greek background, you feel for others going through that type of rejection. It only takes a comment or two. And God so moved me at this place that I left the group and I just walked around the campsite. And I walked and I prayed and I wept. It was God just coming upon me. I just wept and prayed and said, God, they are lost. God, this is hopeless. God, this is so immoral. God, this is so unjust. God, please do something to these people. You've got to realize I'm a 19-year-old passionate evangelist at this stage. I just figure that's what you should do, right, when you see sin. That you should go and pray that God will change lives. Later that night, we were sitting in one of the dorm rooms. Uh, there's you know, bunk beds everywhere. There's about 12 to 15 people in there. And you see, in those days, I had a tracksuit top. It's an Adidas top. But I, uh, I sewed on this little badge which said, Another Student for Christ. Now, put it right out there at university. None of this hiding your Christian stuff. It was right there, another student for Christ. And one of the girls uh, asked me why I wore that. Thank you for the question. Remember, I've been spending hours praying just a couple of hours earlier. Little did I expect that this was going to happen. There I am. And I answered that question. Then another person asked the question. And another person asked the question. And then I realized something. I'm on my knees in the middle of this room with people all around me asking me questions about spiritual things. And as I look back, I think, why did that happen? Why did that happen? 
because God moves by his spirit in my heart to pray, to call out to him, to do something radical, to help people know Jesus better. Friends, when you weep and pray for the lost, your family, your friends, your neighbours, I dare say there's not a lot, of, a lot of weeping in our churches about our own sin or the sin and brokenness we see around us. You want to change your, your life, see the church change, the world change, lament your present condition and call out to God that you may rejoice in God, he says. Friends, it is God who makes it all possible, it's not us. It is he who brings salvation and revival, so we call out to him. Don't be satisfied with what you have, call out to him. And in calling out to God, we also remember that we live between his two comings. He's going to return a final day, and, and in the meantime, there will be suffering, there will be injustice, there will be brokenness, and it all will not be made right, right here and now. We look forward to the consummation of his kingdom when he returns. But in the meantime, we have a joy in Christ and yet a godly impatience. We want perfection to come. We want justice to come. We want righteousness to come. And thirdly, we listen to God's word. In verses 8 to 13 of the psalm, we are given a prophetic word of God's comfort. God will bring revival and salvation to his people, right? God will do it. And in this section, the worshippers seem to be addressed by a prophetic, prophetic figure who brings God's answer to their prayer. So they make the prayer request, and then the prophetic figure who answers says, I will listen to what God the Lord says in verse 8. In other words, he's going to listen to God. What's God's word for these people at this time? And he will bring the word. There's an old saying that men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. Sometimes we don't listen to the Word. Sometimes we push the Word aside because we don't want to hear what it says. But you see, if you want to see revival take place, if you want to see God come in His power and all the manifestation of His power, then you need to listen to His Word. The Word of God is authored by the Spirit of God. And revivals do not happen apart from being gripped by the transforming Word of God. And friends, in the book of Acts, we see the Word of God preached and the Spirit at work. Many come to Christ. Many come to salvation. And the late Mon James Montgomery Boyce wrote, Historically, revivals have begun under strong biblical preaching. We listen to the Word. We open up the Word. We allow the Word to speak. And Psalmist says in verse 8 and 9, But he promises peace, to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. There's a warning here. Fear him and trust him. Don't return to folly. Don't return to foolishness. If you're calling out to God, listen to him and obey his word. Don't be slack in the holy race. Don't be slack in relation to the, to the things of God. Listen to his word. Faith and repentance and holiness and obedience. His love for the lost, the centrality of Christ, the need to reach the nations, the importance of using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. Play your part, he says. 
that the role of pastors and teachers is to open up God's Word for us, to listen to the Word, and then teach it to others. But one of the things God says in His Word is this to all of us. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I've been sitting at home for three months, serving, using your gifts and abilities in different ways, but we're about to reactivate local ministries. We're about to reactivate our services and our outreach events as we head into Christmas and into the new year. We need men and women, boys and girls, using their gifts and abilities for the glory of Jesus. Listen to the Word of God and be active. And finally, look forward to a big vision of God's kingdom. Verse 10 to 13. God will answer your prayers. The prophet says, you've called out to God to revive you. God's going to do a new thing, he says in Psalm 85. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. And righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give us what is good. And our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The psalmist says, God comes through for his people, Israel. He's a covenant-keeping God. He promises blessing to the land. There will be spiritual well-being. There will be material prosperity. Two sides of the same coin for Israel. Dr. J. Elder Cumming contended that in almost every case, the beginning of new blessing is a new revelation of the character of God, more beautiful, more wonderful, more precious you'll see that God has a covenant love for you, that God is faithful. Notice that they come together, love and faithfulness. God's righteousness and peace come together. This is what our God is like. This is the God whom we serve. This is the God that we give our lives to because He has given His Son for us. When we get this God, when we see the beauty of this God, this character, this majestic character of our God, we'll see that revival is truly an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. Friends, we need a big picture of God, a beautiful picture of God, a true picture of God, and see ourselves in light of who He is. Friends, with the birth and ministry of Jesus, the understanding of the kingdom of God, they moved to a new level. See, for Israel, it was their land. It was prosperity in their land. But Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. You see, people enter it by faith in Jesus Christ, by repenting and believing the gospel. And for us, it's not Australia. Australia is not the kingdom of God. The United States is not the kingdom of God. Ethiopia is not the kingdom of God. Brazil is not the kingdom of God. Japan is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the people of God, under the reign of God, living for the glory of God. And we look forward to His coming again, when that kingdom will be completed. 2 Peter 3 says, You are to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Christ is coming back. 
to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We've been given this beautiful role and responsibility to live for him, to show how case his glory, uh, to, to promote his fame throughout the nations of the earth, and to live spotless, blameless lives that are at peace with him. Friends, if we want revival, then we need to look back to the saving works of God, verse 1 to 3. We need to lament our current condition, verses 4 to 7, and ask God to bring the changes, to listen to the word of God, and look forward to a big vision of God's kingdom, and live in view of that kingdom and the end. Let me pray. Lord God, we surrender to you this morning. We ask wherever we are in our homes, Lord, do not let this wash over us this morning. Lord, take your spirit and impress this truth upon our hearts. Change us, Lord God. Help us to lament, to look back to your great saving works, to listen to your word, to have a kingdom perspective on how we live, how we use our time, our money, and our gifts. Lord God, we want to prepare the way, put up the sails, that you would blow in a great visitation upon us and bring transformation like never before for the glory of your name. Amen.